Welcome to The John Chapman Show, where we talk about retirement readiness, strategies to help you grow and preserve your wealth so that you get the most from life with the money you do have. Are you on track? John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to The John Chapman Show. I'm John Chapman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Erica Maryhew. Erica, thanks for joining us again today. Thanks so much again for having me, John. I'm so happy to be here. Erica, the thing I wanted to talk most about today is the financial planning five-step process, financial planning five-step process. And really, I think financial planning is often misunderstood. Most people, my assumption is when they think about a financial advisor or financial planner, they're thinking about the investments. That's the sexy stuff, right? But mm -hmm. I think what I want to totally. demystify today is that investments or investment management or selecting investments, that's really actually just one of five total pillars of financial planning. So we're hmm. going to dive into that a little bit more today, but just to use like an example, you know, I think about for food, if people are craving a, a yummy meal and maybe it's some steak and potatoes, you know, the steak is a sexy part and that's what people like to obsess apart about, but my yeah. wife happens to be a chef. And so I get to see her create these amazing meals. And so there's actually so much more that goes to the meal itself, like the sauce and the greens uh -huh. and the wine pairing, right? So you got to think about how that all fits together. And it's the same, obviously for financial planning and maybe sports, the analogy is something like like we got to not just consider our offense or throwing the touchdown pass, but we need to consider our defense and special teams and the general management, the front office of the organization. So all that mm. kind of applies to financial planning. Yeah, totally. Well, first off, let me say you're so lucky that your wife is a chef. I mean, kudos to you on that one. Right. Big uh, score. I, I definitely think, you know, when most people think about a financial planner, they definitely think of someone, let's say with some, you know, fancy computers or stock charts and, and all that. But I think that's definitely more of a narrow view of what mm. reality actually mm. is. So, okay, John, so what are the five categories? And I'd love to spend just a little time, you know, unhashing all of them for the audience so that we can see and understand from a financial planner what they actually are. Yeah, definitely. So let me list the five categories. So they're, they're in, in total, they start with number one, retirement planning. Mm. Number two, investment management. Number three, insurance planning. Number four, legal and estate planning. Mm -hmm. And number five, taxes or tax management, tax planning. Okay. So mm. big picture, there's five categories. Think about it like a, maybe like a pie chart where all these things are connected or maybe like mm -hmm. five pillars where, you know, these like a roof rests on. So retirement investments, insurance, legal, and taxes. And I guess I got to obviously give a disclaimer here. I don't want to say that um, I'm going to give insurance advice or legal advice or tax advice, but part of the <laughs> actual training of a certified financial planning, that's part of the designation and the training that I have. It's actually, it's just to bring all of these professional team members together for the benefit of the investor or the retiree. And so mm -hmm. I know just enough to be dangerous and <laughs> where maybe the gaps are that, a, that an investor 
investor or pre-retiree hasn't thought about and when it makes sense to bring on the 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 CPA or the attorney then right. it's part of my role to like quarterback that so I just got to give that obvious disclaimer though there's things that I'm a professional on and, and we need to partner with other professionals so so yeah so let me start with going a little bit deeper than on each of the five categories and let's start with retirement if that's okay great love it okay and I will also want to say retirement when I think about that I, I use that really broadly and the ideal person that I really enjoy working with the most and I think gets the most out of my services is somebody that's between the age of let's say 52 to 62 because yeah. they're gearing up towards that last phase of work and they really mm -hmm. want to make sense of how do I transition smoothly from my work into the next phase of life, whatever that looks like. Sometimes people call that financial independence, but sometimes we call that retirement. Mm -hmm. But really this is, we want to start with the goal. So maybe right. the goal is paying for my grandchildren's college education. Maybe the goal mm -hmm. is uh, buying a second home in Laughlin or in, uh, in, uh, yeah. in Utah or in yeah. Texas. Or maybe the goal is no longer working at my corporate job. So I'm using right. retirement really broadly here, but it's all mm -hmm. just to say, what is the goal that I'm aspiring to? And, and one of my favorite books, Erica, is a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People written by a famous author named Stephen Covey. And his first yeah. two habits are be proactive, and second, mm -hmm. think, start with the end in mind, start with the end in mind. And that's exactly what we're doing here in the first mm, step of financial that. planning. We want to start with the end in mind and work backwards from there. And so the questions that I encourage my clients to go through is think critically, like what was your, actually the foot, you know, one of the, one of the, my favorite questions to start with, and this might surprise people is tell me about what your parents' retirement was like. Mm. What your parents started, because that helps to get right. both of us on the same page to think what's their expectation? What have they seen? Maybe, maybe they liked their parents or maybe they disliked their parents' retirement, <laughs> yeah. but at least that gives us like an anchor, a frame of reference, yes. right? About yeah. what they, that they, what is their norm and what right. they might be expecting, right? Mm -hmm. And so Definitely. once we start with that question, then other questions are what needs to happen during my retirement years in order for them to feel like they're going to be a success? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that hangs people up and I get that if they haven't thought about it before. So another way to think right. about it, Erica, is like the, the inverse of that, which is like, what would make retirement really, really crappy, really terrible? <laughs> yeah, really what dreadful, dreading, huh? Right. So right. some people are dreading, I don't know, like, you know, traveling because maybe they worked in sales and they travel a lot for work and, and they yeah. just want to be able to be home and with their family <laughs> and other people, they sat behind a desk every day and they never traveled. And so they would dread being at home watching TV. So like, right. it's just a way to think about critically, mm. you know, what, what's going to make this terrible. And, and then we can really start and I'll culminate this Erica, this first step. I, I really want people to dream big, but then yeah. really move into saying, okay, where am I going to be location wise? What am I going to be doing in that location? And who mm -hmm. am I going to be spending time with? Because we can boil that now, we can now that boils down to actual numbers and it's the right. lifestyle number. Here's how much I, I realistically think I want to spend or I should mm -hmm. be spending. And maybe that's $70,000 a year. Maybe that's $150,000 a year, whatever, right. whatever it was that we dreamed big and then we brought it back mm. down to reality. Now we have a much clearer step in this first phase to then build the entire rest of the financial plan on. Wow, that's so helpful. And I, I love that, you know, to get a sense of what you need to start 
with that actual end in mind. I think sometimes on one hand, you know, people might be excited to dream and, you know, the future is exciting and they have all these set plans. But I think, you know, on the contrary for other people, just like you said, I think that can kind of be a, a scary thought and, and maybe not all people want to think about it since they don't really have any idea. I mean, it's hard to think when you don't, you haven't really put thought to the end in mind, but you know, I get, I bet just even sitting down with someone like you, what an amazing exercise to go through and to know that like thinking about the end, like they're not alone in that, like a financial planner, like yourself, John could really help guide them through that process. So I love hearing that thought, that yeah. thought, those thoughts. Yeah. I think that's um, one of the intangible benefits of working with a yeah. financial planner, whoever that is, is, yeah. you know, being kind of forced and held accountable to think through kind of the long-term trajectory of what someone wants to do and, and what, what they would define as success, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's just a simple conversation to get to get the, the balls rolling, you know? Yeah. Great. So let's talk about that next phase. Okay. So step number two is talking about investments because now it this this better fits in line. You know, instead of talking about investments first, we actually got to talk about goals first. And now once we've talked mm -hmm. about moving out of state or retiring from a corporate job and, and, and fulfilling my lifestyle in, you know, five years or seven years or, or paying for kids' college tuition or grandkids' college tuition, now we've got... A, a goal in mind, and we have mm -hmm. an approximate time frame of when we'd expect to actually spend money to accomplish that thing. And right. now we have a much better idea about how we should be investing for that. And, and I like to think about investing our money or putting our money into three different buckets. So right. literally we call them bucket one, bucket two, and bucket three. Ooh, this isn't what's inside science. the buckets, okay. John? What's yeah. inside the buckets? So bucket one is money that I need right now to be my emergency fund. So mm. kind of like Dave Ramsey, old school is three to six months of cash. But for yeah. pre-retirees, I might even encourage them to think about even a full year of spending in cash. But mm. so bucket one is, is, is you, you, we don't want to take any risk with this money. So the next yeah. bucket is okay, I think I might spend money on this, these goals in the next two to four years. Mm. So if retirement is close by, or if college expenses is close by or down payment on a home, maybe that is money, that money is kind of this quote unquote bucket too. And we can mm. either find a, you know, a ratio of stocks and bonds that's conservative or just have it be all bonds and have it be somewhat safe. But then bucket three is the money that's more growth oriented. It's going to be in stocks. And you might say to yourself, I really kind of don't know exactly when I'm going to retire or when I'm right. going to move or when I'm going to spend it. So just in the meantime, I want to, I want to, I want to grow it. And so mm. once we we've got the goals, then we can think about the goals in terms of timeframes and then we can put money inside these different buckets or maybe even just mentally and say, yeah. okay, my cash at my bank of America account is going to serve as my bucket one. And my traditional IRA that I have from my previous job that I've got $200,000 in, that's going to be in kind of a safer allocation. And that'll kind of serve as my bucket too, because I yeah. might need that the first year that I retire or something. But this money that I have in my stock options from, from my company stock or my Roth IRA or my brokerage accounts, all of this money is kind of bucket right. three. And I just can't tell you, Erica, having done this so many times that the, the kind of the, the big sigh of relief that happens once we start mm. assigning buckets and assigning accounts to certain roles, mm. it's so much easier to not get distracted by high flying stocks or, you know, trying to be cute right. with our investments and say, hey, <laughs> uh, I've got my time frame, my risk tolerance, 
and yeah. all of it really starts to, to fit in place. And I bet not only is that very satisfactory to put money in those buckets, but to also take the time to watch it grow. I think that's like probably so like, oh, okay. Like they're in there, they're growing, we're, we're, we're on track, you know? Yeah. So I love how I can see how that, that step one of retirement and step two sort of fit together. So mm, yeah. I love, I love that description. Great. So talk to us about the next step of insurance. Yes. Insurance. So we're number one and number two is more the, the fun stuff because that's like playing offense. It's thinking about the future, but insurance, we're kind of switching gears here and we actually need to think about how do we protect ourselves, And that's mm. where the insurance conversation comes in. So how do I protect my, my family? How do I protect my right. home? How do I protect my health. And so I just want to acknowledge that the transitioning to conversations about insurance definitely can either rub people the wrong way or mm -hmm. create some friction. And so I, I acknowledge that. But I, I also think that it's it's just necessary, just as defense is necessary, insurance is necessary. So depending on the stage of the investor really kind of, you know, will, will impact the type of insurance we're talking about. But this could be anything from just something like life insurance, which is the most obvious. And right. for somebody that's in their 30s or 40s, or maybe even early 50s, if you have a big mortgage or young kids, then of course you need insurance to protect your family. And I've worked with more than enough widows or widowers to, you know, to be able to tell you plenty of stories of why that's so important. Most people are way underinsured. But for those that are maybe in their like 60s or their 70s, it's less right. of a life insurance conversation. It's more of a long-term care insurance conversation. Mm, it's right. more of a Medicare and health insurance conversation mm -hmm. or, or, you know, and things like that. So it, this one really is going to be dependent on somebody's situation, but what you, you know, people might feel apprehensive to pay money for insurance if they haven't really lived through it personally, like if they haven't had a parent or, you know, a personal experience or things like that. So, but you know, you don't want to be the person that is going to develop dementia in right. your old age and leave your spouse mm. holding the bag, figuring out how to pay for these expenses. <laughs> and oh, you, you don't, you don't want to be the spouse that gets injured at your job and mm -hmm. has to um, retire early and doesn't have dis any disability income right. to cover you. And so these are really rough yeah. conversations, Erica, yes. but just, that's just the reality. And that's part of my job to ensure that, you know, we're, we've got the exciting stuff, but we're also protecting the investor. Mm, that's so helpful. And I, I can see how, you know, that, that, that word friction, when you said that I could see how there could be some friction there because, you know, there's something about the psychological to having to pay for insurance every month, not even knowing if you're going to need it. Right. And you hope that you never have to use it. Right. But of course, what if that one small chance happens and you don't have insurance? Well, then unfortunately yeah, you're, exactly. you know, you're in a really tough spot. So too, is that, you know, my, my perspective on this, I'm again, I'm not an insurance agent. Some right. financial advisors have like multiple licenses. I just feel like it's my fiduciary obligation to actually not mm. have an insurance license. So I'm not trying to dangle a policy in right. front of clients. And, mm. and, you know, as soon as we talk about what makes sense based on their goals and their investing and their family, then we can decide, okay, this is the route we need to go. And then, you know, you just plug and plug a plug a professional agent in there who makes the most sense. So I'm not coming at this from the aspect of wanting to sell yeah. something for a commission, right? Right, right. And you know, just like you said in the very beginning, it's it's a piece of the pie. Yeah. With that, you know, it, it kind of completes the person as a whole for successful in the future. So I love I love that you said that. Great. So let's talk about that next step: legal and estate. 
Yes. So legal and estate, obviously, again, disclaimer, I don't want to give uh, legal advice, but I want to be able to enlighten people that haven't either had any opportunity to talk with their attorney or maybe haven't talked to their attorney in quite a while, just to understand that this is a continuation of making sure that you've got a defense in your financial plan. And it's so important to have just a number of documents. Some people think that, you know, they only have legal documents if they're extremely wealthy or if they're going to have a trust or things like that. But even something as simple as what what happens, Erica, to my children if I get in a car accident? Mm. What, what happens to my home right. if I pass away? Uh, what mm -hmm. happens to my investment accounts if you know if something happens to me if I get disabled or if I pass away? So the, these kind of fall into the camp of legal implications, and so everything from just assigning beneficiaries mm -hmm. to having an advanced healthcare directive or a power of attorney, maybe all the way up to giving some type of trust or multiple type of trusts. You know, some quotes that come to mind here. Actually, one of my somebody I really look up to is a man named Ron Blue, and, mm. and he's an older gentleman that has a CPA firm and an investment firm. Uh, he's a Christian and he's got lots of wisdom. He wrote actually a book called Splitting Heirs and heirs is spelled H-E-I-R-S. So it's like mm -hmm. you know, your, your children, your heirs. And right. one of the things that when we talk about, you know, legal and estate that comes up is, is inheritance to my children, especially for people in their 50s, 60s or 70s, right? And, right. and so I think it's nice to be able to talk with a financial planner about just what that inheritance conversation might look like and playing through the mm -hmm. options because there could be times when the inheritance is unequal, Erica, and that can get <laughs> really awkward. But Ron Blue mm. likes to say, you can love equally, but treat uniquely. Love equally, Ooh. but treat uniquely. And actually there's a ton of references even in the Bible yeah. that inheritance is, an equal inheritance is really kind of like a Western culture, United States thing, but yeah. that doesn't always have to be the case. And Simple so, scene. you know, when mm -hmm. we're thinking about inheritance, that's just a, an important conversation to have with the financial planner to talk about what each ability is for each of your children and right. what makes most sense for the best of, you know, the, the best thing for them. And, uh, you know, another thing that I think about with legal and estate planning is some people think about charitable giving, like I'm going to give money away to charity right. and, 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 and either... I don't know, not, not give as much to my kids or something like that. But another great quote from Ron Blue is, do your given while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> do your given while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Yeah. And what I like about this is it makes me think mm. of two things. One is, you know, if you're waiting to give money to your children and you want right. to do something like that until you pass away, if you pass away in your 80s or 90s, like your kids are going to be in your 60s or your <laughs> 60s, 70s. right. They that they... What, do they really need money yeah. at that stage of life? Like right. don't, don't kids that are getting started in their career or have young children mm. possibly, arguably need a little bit more, more and could right. a smaller amount, but at a sooner time, make a greater impact. I wonder, mm. I mean, I'm, I'm asking these somewhat provocatively, but they're good yeah. things to think through. And another thing is there's almost no tax impact for giving to charity mm. once you pass away, but there could be a tax benefit to giving to charity while you're still living. So could you not think wow. about thing your estate plan to do a little bit more giving? And, and, and so I'll finish by saying that's just part of the power of working with the financial plan and looking at all these angles. What right. if you could have a financial plan that's free enough to where you mm. can satisfy your lifestyle and do more giving 
mm. while you're living and just right. think about the joyful impact that that could have on you and your family. Right. And, you know, I just think there's a lot of power there. Yeah, no. Oh my gosh. All of that. I love that last quote that you said, because not only, I mean, just the faces of, you know, being able to give to your kids, but then also what are you teaching your kids when, you know, they're in their twenties and thirties, they're going to want to pass down that same type of giving and just all that generation passed down. I think that's teaching your kids so much about being able to give, you know, over a long period of time while you're still alive to enjoy it. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. So let's wrap it up with our last point, which is taxes. Yeah. Okay, great. So the fifth step is tax planning. And again, disclaimer, I'm, I don't want to give tax advice here. And I want to be really careful to make sure that all the points I'm going to bring up need to be teamed up with your CPA or tax advisor. But there's certainly lots of opportunities for tax planning. And I also want to be careful not for people to think that I'm, I'm not hyper aggressive, whereas some advisors or some CPAs seem that they want to pay, you know, next to zero in taxes, and they're going to find all of these loopholes and maybe even skirt the system. So I think mm -hmm. that's, that's really not the right frame of reference. I want to find the opportunities to be strategic and make sure that you're being smart with your, with your investments and your, your income and your allocation and just pay what, whatever is appropriate for your situation, but, but not anymore. You, you don't need to give, you know, a tip to the IRS, so to speak. Right. Mm. And so I want to pay taxes humbly. And, uh, but at the time that people need to pay taxes, then, then we do it. But if there's opportunity to save. So, you know, for tax planning, it's things like what's my ordinary income going to be like when I retire, I think some of the biggest areas of opportunities for pre-retirees is to say, okay, I'm going to retire at age 65. Let's just say I'm 58 right now, but I'm going to delay my social security until maybe age 70 or maybe age 60. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have potentially a few years where like my ordinary income is going to be low. So should I look at doing something where a, a Roth conversion or should I pay myself income from my traditional IRA because that tax liability is going to be lower and then later switch to another bucket of income. So I, I just want to give some, some broad examples there. Maybe some other things to think about is for, for small business owners, should I be using one certain type of retirement plan versus another? And can that add any tax benefit to me by using something like a, a self-employed 401k versus a separate mm. so I can do a back to a Roth conversion. So again, these are just sort of ideas that I've seen work in other clients' situation. Maybe also in addition to this, it's things like tax loss harvesting, which means if you own multiple different stocks or mutual funds or ETFs in your brokerage account, and if you're selling some at a gain, you could also sell some at a loss and use that mm. loss to offset the gains. Or mm. maybe it's uh, choosing to exercise my stock options after I retire or take a sabbatical and move those into a different tax year. So lots of examples that I just want to be able to bring up, but mm -hmm. that really, I'll, I'll wrap it up here, Erica. The, these are yeah. the five steps of financial planning. To recap, it's retirement, which is really just thinking about goals. It's investment management. How do I invest to achieve the goal? Then it's insurance. How do I protect myself? Mm -hmm. It's estate planning. What do I want for my family and my heirs both now and when I'm gone? What do I want my charitable giving to be like? 
Mm. And then last is taxes. How do I keep more of what I earn and only pay my, my fair share, mm. so to speak, of taxes? So for those listening that have not had an opportunity mm. to work with a financial planner, I strongly encourage you, selfless <laughs> plug, uh, reach out to me. You can contact me at thejohnchapmanshow at gmail.com, or you can jump on to my advisor website, which is worthpointinvest.com. I'll put some links in the show notes. And, and if it's not me, reach out to a trusted financial planner, a fiduciary mm. that you may know of or keep working with. So with that, Erica, thanks so much for helping with this conversation today. We'll see you again next week. Thanks so much, John. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.